This morning, I have a. I want to start with a with a story, a true crime story. One of my earliest memories of breaking the law. I was a teenager, and we were hanging out with a group of friends. And let me just uh, say this. I can't forget to say this. If you're a teenager or an adult, don't try this at home. So I was hanging out with a group of friends at Del Amo Mall. And we were watching a movie. Maybe it was Breakfast Club or Grease or Friday the 13th or Back to the Future or Rocky or something like that. And that movie was done. And, and uh, so we were getting leaving the theater and we had one hour before we had to go home. And so one of my friends said, friends said, let's sneak into another theater. They won't know. And I've never done that before. You know, I've never broken the law. Well, anyways, uh, so we had concocted this plan, this grand plan, and we snuck into a theater and we made it. We sat down in the dark theater. The movie was already, they already started. We weren't even sure what movie it was. And my heart was pounding and I was so excited and nervous. And after I realized that we had gotten away with my first criminal offense, I settled in to figure out, what's this movie about anyways? Who's that guy that's so, that tough guy that's so angry? And what's he so angry about anyways? And then who's that woman who is in love with that tough, angry guy? I didn't even know where we were at in this movie. And I had such confusion. But by that time, I looked at my watch. And my mom was going to pick us up by right outside Montgomery Wards. And so... That was it. We left the theater, and it was a great adventure. Kids, don't try this at home. So uh, today, would you turn your Bibles to the New Testament book of Philemon? Now, it's, it's, uh, it's in the New Testament. It's probably one page long, maybe a page and a half. And so if you don't know where it's at, turn to the table of contents in the front of your Bibles and take a look at where Philemon is. Our text today is a book like none other in the Bible. You can go to your Nova Community Church app and look at the sermon notes where the scripture is, is, uh, is in there in digitized form, or you can go to novachurch.org where the sermon notes are right there today too. The Bible records only one private letter, and most of the letters that are written are written to churches and to be read publicly in churches. In this private letter, it's interesting because in some ways it's like starting to read a big novel, but not starting at page one, starting at page 124. It's like showing up late to a movie. You're confused. You're, you've got to get some things figured out. It's like when you break into a conversation after the service is over, when a group of your friends are talking and one of them's telling a long story and you don't really know where the story began and where it's going. So in an attempt to bring some clarity to the text, um, but I want to give you a warning that all of our questions at the end of the text will not be answered. They won't be answered in the end. 
But in 25 verses, the Apostle Paul shares tender thoughts and powerful applications about grace and forgiveness and acceptance. And we can sum up this book by mentioning three names to remember. And so as we read through this book, I want you to remember these, these three names here. The first name is, is Paul. And as he's the apostle, he's, he's the author of this letter. And when it was written, he was in a Roman prison. He was in a prison in Rome because he was speaking out about Jesus. And then there was Philemon, not just Paul, but Philemon. And he was a Christian slave owner who lived in the city of Colossae in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And he was clearly a close friend of Paul. And we, we know that the church met in his house, which probably means that he was a, a, he was a leader in that church. So there's Paul, Philemon, and there's another guy, Onesimus. He was a runaway slave who came to Rome where he met Paul, and Paul led him to Christ. And it's possible, although we, we can't be certain, that he met Paul through his friendship because Paul was friends with Philemon, and that's why he sought Paul out in Rome. Before we read the text, I want to talk about slavery in the first century. Slavery in the first century has similarities and dissimilarities to the injustice of slavery in America. In the first century, the Roman Empire was built on slave labor. <clears throat> Scholars tell us that in the days of Paul, there were far more slaves than there were Roman citizens. It would not be unusual for a rich person in the Roman Empire to have as many as 10,000 or 20,000 slaves. And this terrible injustice of slavery was so commonplace that it was accepted as a cultural norm of that day. I, I, I couldn't imagine that, but it was accepted. And Roman law provided little protection for slaves because they were regarded as property, not as people. And owners would mistreat their slaves with little or no pushback. And we read here that Paul sent Onesimus back to Philemon. Onesimus, remember, is the runaway slave. And, and Paul sent him back to uh, it, uh, Onesimus back to Philemon. Now, why did he do this? We really don't know how the story ends. But there is a glimmer of hope that we'll talk about in a little bit in the providence of God. And what brings us to the central issue of this short letter is this dilemma that Paul is in with Onesimus and Philemon. And Paul's in contact with this runaway slave so what should he do? He decided to send Onesimus back to Philemon. But Onesimus now is a believer in Christ, and he left a rebel, and he returns a brother. And Paul wanted to explain to Philemon what had happened, so he writes this personal letter to him. I think it's super interesting. And so let me read you this personal letter from Paul to Philemon about Onesimus. Excited? Let's take a look. Verse 1. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, 
into the house, into the church that meets in your home. <clears throat> Grace and peace to you from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as, he re as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appealed to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do not seem, would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him, as you would welcome me. If he has done any if if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this letter with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark in Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's very interesting word for us today. As we head into Easter, we're wrapping up our series entitled Moving Forward. And today, as we look at this text, we're going to talk about having a community of friends that you move and grow and mature in your relationship with Jesus together in, even in the most challenging times in life. And so we're going to talk about friendship and, and how friends move forward together as they grow in Christ. And, and we're going to talk about my part in helping others move forward. And the first point we can take from this is, number one, be a friend. It's, it's just be a friend. A friend has been described in so many different ways. A friend knows all about you and loves you anyways. A friend steps in when others step out. A group of teenagers was asked, what does it mean to be a friend? And, and one of them says this. They say, friendship is knowing there will always be someone around to lift you up 
while all others let you down. I always used to tell our kids as they were growing up, your best friend is someone who brings out the best in you, and you bring out the best in him. Do you have someone like that in your life? Someone that you're trying to bring out the best in, and that friend is bringing out the best in you. And this is exactly what Paul uh, was writing to Philemon in reference to Onesimus. Philemon was a friend to Paul. And you see that in verses 1 and 5. Paul says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, to Philemon, our dear friend. I hear about your love in verse 5. He says, for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. Now Paul asks Philemon to be not a master, but a, a friend to Onesimus. In verses 15 and 16, he says, Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So many times in our life in Southern California, and really in the South Bay, it's a busy, busy life that we have. It's, it's one thing after another, and we tend to be overcommitted and not have a lot of margin in our lives. And it's frantic and even frenetic in our lives sometimes. And when we know that someone is hurting in our life, what's your tendency? Is it to draw near to that person? Or is it to make an excuse to draw away? You know, when Janet's mom passed away on Tuesday, so many friends, so many friends reached out with kind words and with cards and with gifts, just reassuring us of their prayers for us. Even this morning, many of you have talked to us and and. and and shared kind words and loving support. You know, the one the Bible says that we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. And I, and I have experienced that, that when I am rejoicing and I share that with a friend, it's almost like my, my joy gets doubled, even tripled. It just it increases when I share joy with a friend who's joyful for me. And then when I'm sad and I share that sadness, that mourning with that friend, and they carry some of that burden of sadness for me, it's almost like that sadness is, 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 is cut in half. And the more I share it, that burden, and the more my friends help me carry that burden, the burden becomes lighter and lighter. And so when we rejoice with those who rejoice, our joy just gets multiplied. And when we mourn with those who are mourning, our mourning, it cuts in half. And, and it, the burden is, is so much lighter. So what does a friend do? A friend refreshes the wounded. And Philemon has that gift. Paul says of him in verse 7, he says, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts 
of the Lord's people. A friend comes alongside hurting the hurting individual to offer support and encouragement. And they lighten their load of burden and pain. And they remind the broken-hearted person of God and his goodness and the hope that he can bring in life. And that's the kind of refreshing friend I want to be to hurting people in my world. And so number one, be a friend. But there's also, also there are times where, number two, we need to be a forgiver. Number one, be a friend. Number two, be a forgiver. Humans have this great ability to recall old injustices and to dredge up insignificant slights and reopen old wounds. And sometimes our tendency is to be unforgiving and sometimes unforgetting. It's so hard sometimes to forget injustices. And those who are not followers of Jesus would think that Christians should be or could be or would be different. Maybe a kinder, kinder and gentler tribe. A people who have experienced the grace and mercy of God. Now they can pass that forgiveness on to others. But sometimes that's just not the case. I've heard this. I've heard a painful statement that Christianity is the only army that shoots their wounded. And sometimes I think that's true. And people with wounded hearts, they need a second chance to be forgiven. I know I do. The gospel is good news. A second chance to start over and grant a new beginning. I had a friend that, that, that called. We're working together here at Nova, doing stuff together. We're on the same team. And he made a mistake. And it affected me a little bit. And so he called, he's, can, I, can we talk? I said, sure. I didn't even know what he was talking about. And then he tells me, calls me and tells me, or I call him and he tells me, I made this mistake and it affects you. And I said, okay, um, I forgive you. Let's, let's move on. And it was almost like he needed to keep saying that. You know, you ever do that when you ask for forgiveness? It's like, am I really forgiven? I know you say I am, but am I really and we had to talk about it just for a little bit. But I said, it's okay. It's all right. It's not fatal. You know, you make a mistake and it's, it's, it's okay. Because we love each other. Because we're friends. But greater than that, because we have been forgiven by God through Jesus Christ. The scriptures are filled with stories of people in the same predicament. Jonah, who disobeyed God and set out on his own course, was given another chance. Peter, who denied Jesus, was later reinstated to leadership. And Paul, Paul himself, the one who attacked and persecuted the Christian community, wrote most of the New Testament. He wrote Bible. This guy who did that. Now Paul is requesting of Philemon to grant Onesimus a second chance. He says in verses 12 and 17, I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as just as you would welcome me. So what does a forgiver do? A forgiver releases the sin. In other words, he lets it go. She doesn't keep a record of the wrong. He doesn't harbor grudges. She forgets the mistake. He allows the others to get on with life. And forgiveness means to cancel the debt. 
in order to provide an opportunity for repentance and reconciliation of a broken relationship. And because human beings are imperfect and we do not measure up to God's glorious ideal, it's called sin. Let's just call it what it is. And there is a penalty to sin according to the scriptures, and that penalty is death. It's a separation from a relationship with God. But God loved us so much that he doesn't want us to be separated from him. And so he sent Jesus to talk about a community of people called the kingdom of God and to give his life on a cross as a substitutionary death for all of humanity because the penalty of sin is death. And we are freely forgiven because Jesus took all of our collective sins and paid the price with a death that we should have died. And because we are forgiven, of course, we're able to forgive others. Being a friend supports the broken and the wounded in the present, and being a forgiver wipes that slate clean of the past. But what about the future? The third is to be an encourager. Be a friend, be a forgiver, and if we're going to move forward together, we're going to be an encourager. I don't even need to say this, but I'll say it anyways. It's been a tough 12 months. One year ago, Nova suspended all in-person gatherings. And there has been and there still is this air of uncertainty with so many things. And we've, we feel the brokenness and the sadness and the conflict of the things that happen in politics and with racism and with violence and with all of this in our world. We, we're, we feel it so deeply. But God is still in control. That's why we gather today that Jesus is King. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And more than ever, we need to encourage each other. We, we, we need to be here for each other. The word encourage is this old French word, which means put in or give courage. To encourage somebody is to give courage to the other person. And Onesimus was this runaway slave who came into the company of Paul while he was in prison in Rome. And Onesimus came to trust in Jesus. And now Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon, appealing for Onesimus's forgiveness and acceptance. And Philemon had Onesimus's future in his hands. And by Roman law, Philemon could execute Onesimus as a runaway slave. Or as a believer, Philemon could forgive him and restore him. So what would Philemon do? Now it's interesting to note that the name Onesimus means in the Greek language, useful. And Paul played on that name in verse 11. Take a look at it. It says, formerly he, Philemon, uh, formerly he Onesimus, was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and into me. So what did Philemon do when Onesimus came back home? Now it'd be nice 
if there was a postscript on this letter to indicate Philemon's decision. But there is none. I can tell you this. There was a letter that was found, an ancient letter. It was written 50 years after Paul wrote this personal letter to Philemon. So this ancient letter, 50 years later, was found by an and it was written by an early church father. His name was Ignatius. And in this letter, Ignatius is this letter is written to his supervisor, a bishop in that region. The bishop's name, Onesimus. Now, we don't know if it's the same Onesimus that Paul is writing about here in Philemon. But in this letter, Ignatius writes refers to Onesimus as one, he writes, who formerly was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. He used the very same words that appears in verse 11 of Philemon. So what does an encourager do? An encourager restores one's spirit. Paul writes to the Galatian church in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore, that word restore, that person gently. The word restore here is used to describe the cleaning off and the mending of fishing nets in order to be used the next day. The fisher, uh, a fisherman community would put his nets up and he'd wash them off after a day of fishing. He'd look for the holes carefully and he would mend his nets so that net would be clean and repaired to be used the next day. It communicates his idea of putting people back into workable and useful shape. It reminds people how valuable they are to God. Who do you know? Who do you know who needs a friend? Who, who do you know in your, in your world, in your community, that needs a friend, a second chance, maybe some courage in their life? You may be the one to turn that person's life around by offering them friendship and forgiveness and a hope-filled future. Paul's letter to Philemon reminds us that God has the power to heal hurting hearts and to repair broken people. Will you be a friend that refreshes another brother or sister? Will you be a forgiver by releasing their sin? Will you be an encourager by restoring another heart? You know, if you read through the whole Bible, and we've been going, looking through this, these themes of the Bible in the devotional, the Lenten devotional of fall, the fall in I mean, of creation and then the fall and of redemption. And now we're in the uh, time of restoration we're, we're reading through. And since the very beginning of time in creation, we read in the book of beginnings in Genesis that there is this triune God, God existing, the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that created the heavens and the earth together. And then God created Adam and saw that it was not good for man to be alone. It was better for him to be together with God and to have a partner. 
And all through the biblical story, there are friends together moving forward, sometimes tragically moving backward, but they're moving together in community. And we even see Jesus in the Gospels. When we read the Gospels, the Gospel accounts in this constant connection with the Father and with the Spirit, he, he often goes away to pray and to be in connection with the Father and the Spirit. And he even called this small group of 12 friends and he gave them a mission to be a disciple and to make disciples and to multiply. And then centuries later, after multiplication and disciples were made on and over and over and over again, here we are. Here we are, Nova Community Church, a church that was multiplied. And we worship and we celebrate together on Sundays and we meet weekly in small groups with friends and we serve to reach the broken and we serve to build one another up and we multiply and we share our lives and, and words with those who are far from God. In the biblical story of community, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The biblical story of Jesus and the disciples moving forward together. This story is handed down to us that we might have friends to move forward with. We are not called to be alone. We are called to move forward together. Let's pray together.